Thanks for being here. Have a seat. Tell the person on your right and left, I'm glad that you're here. What if you were destroying your dreams on accident? We all have dreams in our heart. We want that perfect partner for marriage. We want that picturesque family that honors and obeys and listens and makes us proud. We want a job that gives us not only a paycheck, but gives us joy. Uh, We want to make a contribution to our community. You know, what we really want in our hearts is we want to be both happy and helpful. That's the dream inside most of us. But what if you were destroying that dream on accident or more specifically, what if your pride and my pride were destroying our dreams on accident? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Arrogance is the original weapon of mass destruction. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, Proverbs 11, 2. Thankfully, there is always an opportunity for humility. On Father's Day morning, we woke up together as a family and we were having a little celebration moment of me, which is, uh, you know, that's fun. And Amanda and the kids had uh, gotten a few gifts and they got me a card and, and they, they all wrote inside the card. Amanda wrote something. And then Jackson, who's 10 wrote something. And then Annabeth, who's seven wrote something. I want to read it uh, to you. Uh, Dad, I want to thank you for being the world's greatest dad in the history of the universe. I don't care what you look like. There are always opportunities to be humbled. Last weekend, you can take the the picture down because it hurts my feelings. She goes on to say that she would choose me even if I win or lose, like losing would be an option. This past weekend, we were at my grandfather's funeral in uh, Missouri and you know, I'm seeing people there that I have not seen in 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, long time. And not only was I a grandson, but I was also the officiating minister. And so you stand in line and you greet a lot of people. And because it had been so long, you could tell when you were talking to somebody that they didn't totally know who you were. And so I would say, well, I'm Charles's grandson. And then the light bulb would go on. And then they would say, oh, I didn't recognize you because of the And then their voice would trail off or they would say, oh, I didn't recognize you. And then look up to the top of my head. So I came away from my grandfather's funeral knowing two things. One, he is with the Lord and is happy there too. And I don't have any hair. That's what I I know. There are always opportunities for humility. So if those two things are true, if pride is incredibly dangerous and there are always opportunities for us to be humbled, why are so few of us humble? I think Daniel chapter four will help us. Daniel chapter four. Remember where we are. Chapter one tells the story of four young men and their transition from Israel, where they were born among their people, to the courts of Babylon. 
Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, otherwise known as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a disturbing dream and Daniel is able to interpret that dream for him. Chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue to be worshipped and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship the statue. So the king throws them into a fiery furnace to die and yet they don't die. God miraculously rescues them. And this is what King Nebuchadnezzar says in light of that. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, to all people, nations, and language groups that live in all the land. Peace and prosperity. I am delighted to tell you about the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom will last forever and his authority continues from one generation to the next. A few observations I'd love for you to write down on our way out this morning. Number one, King Nebuchadnezzar gives lip service to God. Now, how do we know it was lip service? These seem to be true things that he is saying about God. But true statements do not yield genuine faith. True and genuine statements yield genuine faith. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, believes in a Babylonian pantheon. He believes in many gods. We've already discussed a few of those in the weeks that we've been together. He has Marduk, which is kind of the god that he has most closely aligned himself in his kingship. Uh, There's Bel, whom he names Daniel after. There is uh, Nebu, the god of the moon. There's this Babylonian pantheon. And after the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar is content to place God, the Lord God, Yahweh, among that pantheon, but it's just lip service. How do we know that it's lip service? Well, later on in verse eight, he'll say about Daniel in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods. And he says it again in verse nine, for I know there to be a spirit of the holy God. So he still believes in these many gods. He's just willing to acknowledge the God of Israel as one of them. So Nebuchadnezzar is giving empty worship. Worship. That doesn't mean that much. It's possible that you and I offered today empty worship. I mean, look at what verse four says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was relaxing in my home, living luxuriously. You know, luxury is an an advantage in every room you will be in this week, except this one. Luxury is an advantage at work. Luxury is an advantage at home. Luxury is an advantage among your friends. Luxury is a disadvantage in this room. You think about Nebuchadnezzar. He is king of the most powerful empire in the world at the time. His list of needs is very, very, very small. And where you find small needs, you find small prayers. And when you have small prayers, what you're left with is small praise. So some of us have been abundantly blessed and abundantly blessed by God. So what does that mean? It means that you and I need to attach ourselves to a greater need. If you don't have need in your life, God has given you that gift so that you can have the bandwidth to enter into someone else's need. So that you are not praying small prayers. You're praying big prayers. You just maybe don't happen to be praying them for yourself. All the time. Small needs, small prayers were left with complacent.
praise, empty praise, lip service. And even though we maybe don't believe in a pantheon today where there are many gods, it's still possible for you and I to offer words to God that we don't really mean or we mean, but we're not that connected to. So observation number one, Nebuchadnezzar gives lip service to God. Number two, the king has another disturbing dream. Verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was relaxing in my home, living luxuriously in my palace. I saw a dream that frightened me badly. The things I imagined while lying on my bed, these visions of my mind were terrifying me. So I issued an order for all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me so they could make known to me the interpretation of the dream. When the magicians, astrologers, wise men, and diviners entered, I recounted the dream for them, but they were unable to make known its interpretation to me. Later, Daniel entered, whose name is Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom there is a spirit of the holy gods. I recounted the dream for him as well, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, in whom I know there to be a spirit of the holy gods, in whom no mystery baffles, consider my dream that I saw and set forth its interpretation. Here are the visions of my mind while I was on my bed. So this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. While I was watching, there was a tree in the middle of the land. It was enormously tall. The tree grew large and strong. It reached the far into the sky. It could be seen from the borders of all the land. Its foliage was attractive and its fruit plentiful. On there was food enough for all. Under it, wild animals used to seek shade. In its branches, the birds of the sky used to nest. All creatures used to feed themselves from it. While I was watching in my mind's vision on my bed, a holy sentinel or angel came down from heaven. He called out loudly as follows. Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under and the birds from its branches, but leave its taproot in the ground with a band of iron and bronze around it, surrounded by the grass of the field. Let it become damp with the dew of the sky and let it live with the animals in the grass of the land. Now notice this shift. We've been talking about a tree Now notice the words, let his mind be altered from that of a human being and let an animal's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time or probably seven years go by for him. This announcement is by the decree of the sentinels. This decision is by the pronouncement of the holy ones so that those who are alive may understand that the most high has authority over human kingdoms and he bestows them on whomever he wishes. He establishes over them even the lowliest of human beings. So Nebuchadnezzar has another disturbing dream. He has his first one in chapter two. You remember he dreams about a large statue. It has a head of gold. It has shoulders and a chest of silver. It has a waist and thighs of bronze. Its legs are made of iron and its feet are made of iron and clay. And Daniel interprets that dream for him. He says, your kingdom is the head of gold, but you're going to be surpassed by shoulders of silver. That's the Medo-Persian empire. And after them, the Grecian empire. And after them, the Roman empire. And after that, the remnants of the Roman empire. And in his dream, there was a giant stone that came and crushed the statue into nothing but dust. And Daniel says, this is the kingdom of God. So this is his second disturbing dream. It's a tall tree, reaches to the top of the earth. It's fruitful. It provides for animals. Uh, It provides for the land, but then it's going to be chopped down. And then you notice that it changes from a tree to talking about him. And it says, you are going to lose your mind and you're going to have the mind of a wild animal. Observation number three, Daniel interprets the dream. Verse 18 
This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation, for none of the wise men in my kingdom are able to make known to me the interpretation, but you can do so, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is also Belshazzar, was upset for a brief time. His thoughts were alarming him. The king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream and its interpretation alarm you. But Belshazzar replied, sir, if only the dream were for your enemies and its interpretation applied to your adversaries. Then skip to verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. It is the decision of the most high that this has happened to my lord, the king. You will be driven from human society and you will live with the wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen. You will become damp with the dew of the sky. Seven periods of time will pass by for you before you understand that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to whomever he wishes. And they said to leave the taproot of the tree for your kingdom will be restored to you when you come to understand that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing what is right and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps your prosperity will be prolonged. Observation number four, King Nebuchadnezzar continues in his pride. Verse 28. Now all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. After 12 months, he happened to be walking around on the battlements of the royal palace of Babylon. The king uttered these words, is this not the great Babylon that I have built for royal residence by my own mighty strength and for my majestic honor? So he has a dream. Daniel interprets the dream. The interpretation of the dream is not good. Daniel says, you're going to be chopped down. You're going to have your mind taken from you. You're going to act like a wild animal. You're going to live out among uh, the, the wilderness and you're going to be soaked with the dew of the earth. You're going to turn into a crazy person, but he, he recommends two things. He recommends do what's right, break away from your sin. And he says, show mercy to the needy. And then it says, after 12 months, God gave him 12 months to change. We feel like God gives us 30 seconds to obey or else we're punished. But the windows are wider than we imagined. 12 months. I wonder if he lived with a day-to-day realization that he was filled with pride or if it was more subtle. Because I struggle with that. Sometimes I'm confronted with my pride and I know I have it. And yet sometimes I wonder if I have it and I just don't realize. There are some warning signs in the scripture. I'd love to share a few with you. Maybe you could write these down. These are warning signs from the word of God that you and I are following in the steps of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, First, my will is ultimate. I say my will is ultimate. Exodus chapter 5 tells the story of when Moses appears before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. You remember that? Verse two, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord and I will not release Israel. Pharaoh says, I'm not going to obey. Who are you? Who is the God of Israel to tell me to obey? I am a God. I am an Egyptian God. My will is ultimate. You remember Jesus's prayer in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. You remember in the gospels, Jesus found some of his followers fishing and he says to them, what come follow me 
And it says that they dropped their nets and immediately followed Jesus. I, I think we get that story inverted, switched around. Where we believe we are the ones who have found Jesus. And we say to him, come follow me. Come follow me up the corporate ladder. Come follow me into my dream neighborhood. Come follow me into my perfect family. Come follow me into the execution of my will. And we expect Jesus to stop whatever he is doing, to drop his nets and come with us. My will is ultimate. Warning sign number two, we desire someone else's place. Numbers chapter 12 tells the story of Miriam and Aaron They get jealous of Moses, their brother, says in verse one, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than any man on the face of the earth. So Miriam and Aaron, they say, who is this Moses guy to always be telling us what to do? Who is Moses, our brother, to be the one who's lifted up and exalted? God doesn't only speak through him. He speaks through us too. A warning sign of pride is when we are desiring, when we're coveting, when we're jealous of someone else's place. This is most clearly seen in middle school, right? That's what middle school is all about, is just trying to figure out where you fit in the world. So there's a giant line in middle school and the front of the line, who's the front of the line in Texas middle school, the football players and the cheerleaders somehow mixed in there. They're the front of the line. And then, uh, you know, I played football, not in seventh grade because I didn't get it that they were at the front, but in eighth grade, I got it there at front. And so I tried to play. It wasn't that helpful though, because I was four foot 11 with a super thick mustache. So I would have only been intimidating to the other team if I was riding on someone else's shoulders. You got the football players and the cheerleaders there up there. And then you got the rebels, man. The rebels have a lot of influence in middle school. The people who they don't care. They're willing to get in trouble. They're well acquainted with the principal. You got them. Then maybe you've got the, you know, the basketball players. And after them, you got the new kids, the new kids. They got a lot of credibility in those first couple of weeks. They moved from California, somewhere exotic or New York, somewhere cool that you don't really know about. And then after them, then it's like the student council people, maybe, and then the normal people. And then you You've got the choir and band people. Bless them. I was with you. I was with you, but bless you. You're at the end of the line in middle school. You don't bring out your trumpet and uh, get a lot of chicks, right? That's just not the way that it works. And the goal of middle school is what? That wherever you started, that you would finish in a higher place. It's not that much different than the goal of most of our lives. This is where I started. I'm just trying to move up. Just trying to move up. One step at a time, moving up, moving up, moving up. And then the scripture comes in with things like Philippians chapter two, right? And it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, so it's saying that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be trying to move this way. We should actually be, trying to move the other way here you you can have my spot here actually why don't you you take that spot you know what i'm just gonna go back here and i'm, I'm gonna stand at the end of the line you think well what on earth would be our motive for standing at the end of the line because this is where jesus stands what did he say the son of man did not come 
to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is where Jesus stands. And he told us that one day this line, it's gonna be upended. And the first, they'll be last. And the last, they'll be first. But we know we're filled with pride like Nebuchadnezzar when all we can think about is the place ahead of us that someone else has that should be ours. It's a warning sign. Another warning sign, I dismiss people that I don't consider equals. I dismiss people that I don't consider equals. You know, I've read this story of David and Goliath a million times and I know the interaction and I know how Goliath was seven feet tall and not just tall and skinny, but literally a giant and wore all this armor and was intimidating to a whole army. But Daniel come, or David comes to stand against him. And this is what it says in verse 41. The Philistine kept coming closer to David with his shield bearer walking in front of him. And when the Philistine looked carefully at David, he despised him for he was only a ruddy and handsome boy. So Goliath is a giant of a warrior. He's never been defeated. He's asked for the best that Israel has to offer. And here comes this scrawny little handsome boy. And it says that Goliath despises him because we have that in us that we dismiss, we despise, we look down on anyone that we deem as inferior to us. This is the heart of racism. This is the heart of sexism. This is the heart of elitism. Anybody we don't consider equal, we just dismiss out of hand. They are inferior. We have good manners, so we wouldn't say that out loud. This is the way we talk about certain parts of town and certain sections of the neighborhood. We dismiss people who we deem as inferior. It's a sign that we're filled with pride like Nebuchadnezzar. Next, I boast about what I have. We could go to 2 Kings 20. We won't for time's sake about Hezekiah. We could look at 1 John 2 when it says, how do I know if I'm loving the world? Well, I boast about what I have and what I do. How do I I know if I'm boasting about the things that I have? Well, just ask yourself a really simple question. How many people know what you have? If the whole world knows everything about your home, about your money, about your status, about your toys, then you're a person who boasts about what they have. But if you have things that not very many people know about, that's a good thing. We boast about what we have. Next, I need affirmation and attention. It's a warning side. I need affirmation and attention. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six, verse two. Thus, whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in synagogues and on the streets so that people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. Verse five, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray while standing in synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 16, and when you fast, do not look sullen like the hypocrites for they make their faces is unattractive so people will see them fasting i tell you the truth they have their reward affirmation and attention they make awful masters 
because it's a moving target. To get attention one day, you have to do this one thing. But to get attention the next day, you may have to do the exact opposite thing. In Missouri, where I grew up, you don't inner tube down the river. That's not really a thing. Uh, you canoe down the river because that's normal. You want to move down a body of water, you get into a boat. That seems to be pretty historic. Not here in Texas. You get in an inflatable raft from Walmart. It's fine. Actually, you get into an old tire tube, which seems even less sophisticated than buying something from Walmart. But I digress. So in Missouri, we're normal there and we get in boats. And so once when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, we went on a canoeing trip with uh, some family friends and they had a friend of mine who was 10 or 11. We were the same age and they let us drive our own boat, you know, which is hard. It's hard to steer a canoe, but they were going to give it a shot. It was about a four mile trip, you know, take three or four or five hours, something like that. It was a four mile trip that my friend and I turned into an eight mile trip because we weren't good at it. So we would run into this bank over here and then we'd adjust and then we'd run into this bank over here and we'd adjust and then we'd run into this bank over here all day long, just bouncing from bank to bank to bank to bank to bank. A four mile trip turned into an eight mile trip. You know, a lot of people, a lot of church people, Christian people, Jesus people, we are spiritually, emotionally, mentally exhausted. And we've been blaming our busy schedule. Ah, if I just have so much to do, I gotta be here, I gotta do this thing, I gotta, 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 it's a busy, 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 busy kids, this busy, busy, busy. What if we were mentally, spiritually, emotionally exhausted, not because of our calendar, but because we were trying to spend our days hitting targets that won't stand still? Well, I gotta be this kind of person over here on Tuesday. But then I'm going to meet with this other person. So I got to be uh, this person on Wednesday. And then we're going to go to their house on this weekend. And then I got to kind of do this thing. And you're just worn out. Bouncing from target to target to target to target. But if I need affirmation and attention. It's a sign that I'm filled with pride. Finally, we keep honor for ourselves. Acts chapter 12. Tells a story of a king named Herod. He's getting ready to give a speech. And it says in verse 21, on a day determined in advance, Herod put on his royal robes, sat down on the judgment seat and made a speech to them. But the crowd began to shout the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck Herod down because he did not give the glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. You may think, well, that seems a little bit ridiculous. Maybe the Bible just put that in there, just kind of juiced the story. Actually, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus confirms this story. How you use positive encouragement says a lot about you. God has given us a gift of encouragement. He's given it to us to give to others and he's given it to us to receive. Encouragement is from him, but how you receive and use that encouragement is really determined by you. Do you use encouragement to, in fact, give you courage or to boost your ego? These are warning signs of pride. Pride is an infectious disease that will eat us from the inside out. Herod found that out, literally. So did Nebuchadnezzar. Look what it says in verse 30. The king uttered these words. 
Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal residence by my own mighty strength and for my majestic honor? The great Babylon I have built with my own strength for my majestic honor. You want to guard yourself against pride? Guard your pronouns. Guard your pronouns. I, me, mine should not be in our regular vocabulary. Prideful pronouns are dream destroyers. Observation number five, the king's dream becomes a reality. Verse 31. And while these words were still on the king's lips, a voice came down from heaven. It is hereby announced to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom has been removed from you. You will be driven from human society and you will live with the wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen and seven periods of time will pass by for you before you understand that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to whomever he wishes. Now in that very moment, this pronouncement about Nebuchadnezzar came true and he was driven from human society. He ate grass like oxen and his body became damp with the dew of the sky until his hair became long like an eagle's feathers and his nails like a bird's claws. He loses his mind. Then observation number six, King Nebuchadnezzar repents and is restored. But at the end of the appointed time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up toward heaven and my sanity returned to me. I extolled the Most High and I praised and glorified the one who lives forever. For his authority is an everlasting authority and his kingdom extends from one generation to the next. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he wishes with the army of heaven and with those who inhabit the earth. No one slaps his hand and says to him, what have you done? And at that time, my sanity returned to me. I was restored to the honor of my kingdom and my splendor returned to me. My ministers and my nobles were seeking me out and I was reinstated over my kingdom and I became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven for all his deeds are right and his ways are just. He is able to bring down those who live in pride. Nebuchadnezzar is a warning. It's a warning to every achiever. It's a warning to the apathetic. It's a warning to the self-righteous. It's a warning to the rebel. It's a warning to the iron-willed. It's a warning to people-pleasers. God is able to bring down those who live in pride. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I sit, God lifts. I sit, God lifts. Say that with me. I sit, God lifts. Again, I sit, God lifts. You remember that story in the Gospels? Jesus is at a banquet in his honor, hosted by Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Martha is in the kitchen and she's working and working and working. She's doing all the hosting. She's doing the cooking. She's doing the cleaning. She's doing all the stuff. She comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I need you to ask my sister Mary to help me because all Mary was doing is just sitting right there at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, actually, I'm not gonna take this thing away from her because she's chosen the better thing. She's chosen a good thing to just sit here. I sit God lifts. So what are we saying today? The answer to pride is just to sit around and do nothing. No, Mary was 
rewarded. Mary was honored because in her sitting, she's in ready position, ready to do the will of Jesus, ready to receive it, ready to hear it, ready to do it. The death blow to pride is not my will, but your will be done. Nebuchadnezzar had this opportunity. Daniel told him, if you want to skip the insanity, if you want to get out of this dream, I recommend two things. First, do what is right. And second, show mercy to the needy. If you will do the will of God, you can skip all of this punishment. You can skip all this judgment. If we will humble ourselves, God will not have to humble us. Not my will, but your will be done. I sit, God lifts, ready to do his will. Go to the left, go to the left. Go to the right, go to the right. Go forward, go forward. Go backward, go backward. Whatever you say, I will do. Not my will, but your will be done. I sit. God lifts. There's a lifting that's going to happen. There's a promoting that's going to happen. If there's an advancing that's going to happen, if there's an honoring that's going to happen to you, let God be the one to do it. You sit and he will lift. Let's pray. God, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would give us the mind to see, the heart to recognize, and the will to obey. Not sure there is a harder command in all of scripture than humility. It goes against everything that's in us, but we say to you, not by might and not by power, but by your spirit, we can do these things. We say together as a family, not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name.